The book of Galatians has time and again been used by God to begin a deep work in the hearts of his people. It has been referred to as the Magna Carta of the early church, the Declaration of Freedom. It would seem that each time God's people lose sight of the gospel of freedom and grace, God uses this book of Galatians to bring about a renewed excitement, a renewed passion for what real Christianity is all about, Jesus plus nothing. Let's join our teacher, Ross Gilbert, of Crossways to Life, as we study the book of Galatians to discover what we have been freed from in order to be freed to. So, in light of the context now, of what we have for the book of Galatians, uh, you know, where, where, where the people are and what relationship they had with the Apostle Paul and so forth, uh, now that that's kind of laid, now I think we can get into the book of Galatians. And, and the book of Galatians, is you're going to see, is a book of, of contrasts comparing. So it's got some major themes in there, themes such as law versus grace, uh, death versus life, bondage versus freedom, flesh versus spirit, right? It's got these contrasting themes. Uh, You're going to see old covenant versus new covenant, and specifically the Mosaic covenant versus the Abrahamic covenant. That's what we're going to see as well. So there's lots of these contrasting themes that Paul's going to be talking about. Slaves versus children, right? So those are the key themes that we're going to see over and over again uh, throughout the book. But it's like I said earlier, it's also a very practical book because the point is that Paul is speaking to who? The churches of Galatia. This is not an evangelistic book. I want to make that clear because sometimes I think what we do is we take this message and we apply it to evangelism, salvation. And yes, there are parts of it that is referring to salvation, but it's more than that. It's a book that is primarily for, you know, I guess we could say sanctification, right? It's a very practical, now that I'm saved, how do I live book. It's not a question about getting saved. That issue was settled. Now it's how do I continue on now that I'm saved? How do I continue to live and walk in my salvation? That's what this book is going to be addressed at. Would you think it should be a book of discernment? Is the book about discernment? Um, uh, I'm not sure if I'd say that it's a book about discernment per se. Um, I think it's a book, it's, it's going to explain the gospel. And in the gospel, obviously, I think we'll show you the discernment, but it's a book that's primarily about what is the gospel and then how do I live in, in, in that gospel and, and how do I experience life in that. So that's, that's what's going on here. Now, as we're going to see a little bit now, as Paul writes his letter and explains what's going on, the churches of Galatia, they weren't left on their own. So these Jews who went and incited all kinds of riots and getting Paul and Barnabas stoned and and running them out of town and so forth, they didn't stop once Paul left. They didn't say, okay, you know what, mission accomplished, let's go back to life as normal, because Paul had already now planted some seeds. And those seeds are starting to grow, and they would have been trying to then also witness and share, and the, the churches would have been continuing to grow. So those churches would have remained a threat to the Jews, to the Jews that wanted to have that power. So they had an option. Their goal now was to basically try to destroy them, try to do their best to, to, to um, prevent those churches 
from growing and if possible to even wipe them off the face of the earth. That's what their goal was. But their problem was these are the same people that were already converted in the midst of great you know, trials and tribulations. These are people that couldn't be threatened. So they couldn't go off with the, the strong arm tactics that they use with other people. Now they got to take a different tactic. They got to take a different turn. And, and I think that's what we want to see. This, this group are going to be called the group of Judaizers. And what they're going to do now is they're going to try to uh, twist and distort the gospel. And, and I'm, I'm going to play a clip here from a movie called Amadeus. And I think it's a, it's a great clip to really explain what, what really God or, or really Satan is trying to do against God. Now, in this movie, uh, Amadeus, it's about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. That's all the musical ability I have. Just saying the name. That's all the musical talent I have, right? So it's about Wolfgang, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. But he had a contemporary who was really his bitter, bitter rival. What was his name? Any musicians know this? Salarieri, right? I probably didn't say it right, but Salarieri. And he was, um, he was, in fact, at the time, everyone thought he was the great composer of his day. But then, you know, time quickly showed that Mozart had far much more talent, far more gifted than the salary guy ever was. And it drove him up the wall. It drove him mad. And so here we're going to see in this clip that salary comes to the realization that this Mozart guy, who really is uh, a lousy guy, he's, he's, he's like a, a, um, a little snot-nosed teenager. <laughs> That's the best way to describe Mozart. He's just arrogant and pompous, and life comes so easy to him that it drives salary up the wall because for him, it's, every note is painful and, and painstaking. It's, it's, it's so much work for him. And Mozart just, it's like nothing. It's like breathing to him. And so he, he realizes what he calls the incarnation. He sees God's gift in Mozart, and it drives him mad. And so look at what, what, uh, what his threat is, what he's going to do now, as a result of that, as we watch this clip. Let me offer you some, uh, some uh, refreshments. Do you, do you know what these are? Capezzoli di Venere. Nipples of Venus. They're Roman chestnuts in brandied sugar. Try one. Go on, try one. They're quite surprising. Mm. <laughs> They're wonderful. <laughs> Thank you very much, Your Excellency. Don't keep calling me that. Keeps me at such a distance. <laughs> I wasn't born a court composer, you know. I'm from a small town. Just like your husband. Mm. Are you sure you can't leave this and, and come back again? It's very tempting, sir. But it's impossible, I'm afraid. Wolfgang would be frantic if he found those were missing. You see, they're all originals. Originals? Yes, sir. He doesn't make copies. Mm-hmm. 
astounding. It was actually, it was beyond belief. These were first and only drafts of music. But they showed no corrections of any kind. Not one. He had simply written down music already finished in his head. Page after page of it, as if he were just taking dictation. And music, finished as no music is ever finished. Displace one note, and there would be diminishment. Displace one phrase and the structure would fall. It was clear to me that sound I had heard in the Archbishop's palace had been no accident. Here again was the very voice of God. I was staring through the cage those meticulous ink strokes had an absolute beauty. of his work. So you will help us? you choose for your instrument a boastful, lustful, smutty, infantile boy, and give me for reward only the ability to recognize the incarnation, because you are unjust, unfair, unkind, I will block you. I swear it. I will hinder and harm your creature on earth as far as I am able. I will ruin your incarnation. I will block you. All you've done is let me realize and see your incarnation. So I will block you. If there's ever been the mischievous statement of Satan, I think that's it. I will block you. We are enemies. I will block you. And that's what he's done. That's what he does. And Paul talks about how we have an enemy in this world who is trying to block us. From what? From his grace. He cannot block you from this. But he can block you from this. He can't block you from that total acceptance, that, that forgiveness. But he can block you from experiencing 
His life flowing in and through us. And that's what He's, that's what he's trying to do. And so that's what He's done now with these, with these churches in Galatia. And so what He's going to do if with these people who've embraced the message, He can't just come now and overtly destroy the message because they, they've already accepted it. So what He does now is they begin to distort it, to twist it, to make it into something different. And the best way to do that is to undermine the messenger. And so as we start to go through this book of Galatians, you're going to see that what happens now is that these Judaizers, these agents now of the enemy, of Satan, go through to these churches of Galatia and they've been undermining Paul, saying all kinds of things about Paul. And so now when Paul's writing this letter to these churches here, that's the environment that he's showing up in. Does that make sense? So here, let's begin. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle. Let's stop there. What's an apostle? A chosen one. Right? That's a great word for it. Because, you know, think about it. In Acts 9, verse 15, when, when God is talking to Ananias and saying, Go see this guy, Saul. You know Saul. He's the guy that's killing all the Christians. If you want to know what he looks like, go down to the local church and see, stay away from him, picture. That's the guy. Go see him. And go lay your hands on him. And, and Ananias said, no way. No way, God. I mean, you, you know him. He's going to kill me. And he says, no, he is my chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument. Apostle. He's my sent one. Right? That's what Paul is here. And he's saying, he's, he's calling out on his, his authority now. I am an apostle. Not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, the God the Father, who raised him from the dead. By the fourth word, Paul is on the move. He's already starting to get into the, into the grid of it. He's already getting into it. Uh, I like what one, Paul, one person said, J. Vernon McGee. He says, Paul right now has his war paint on. All right? Here, this is what it looks like. <laughs> right? Here is Paul with his war paint on. He is, he is out to make war. Right? Or I'll get rid of it. He is out to make war. He is out to, 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 to say, listen, this is a fight worth fighting for. Right? So by the fourth word, he's already starting the, the fight. He's already on the move. Not. Not one that's sent from men, nor through the agency of man. I don't have my calling, my apostleship, because I went to the school of apostles. Right? I am not Paul of Tarsus, a P, you know, APO, I guess. I don't know what the initials would be afterwards, right? I've got my doctorate in apostleship. That's not why I am. I'm not an apostle because I was elected to be one. No, no. My authority comes from Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, right from the get-go, is saying, listen, people out there are questioning my authority. They're undermining my message by undermining me. Make no doubt, have no fear, I am an apostle. I am of, you know, the big 12. I am in that category. I am an apostle, a called by one, by Jesus Christ, by God the Father. He's, he's saying, my authority lies where? In Christ. He's already, you see the boldness of Paul? Do you see the passion of Paul? The, the heart of Paul is coming out here. The warrior of Paul. Right? 
I'm an apostle of Jesus, uh, called by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So his basis of authority is based on God. The proof of authority is based on what Jesus has done. Right? He's going straight at it. Yeah, he's not ducking the issues, right? Verse 2, and all the brethren who are with me. So Paul's also saying, I'm not alone. I'm not coming up with this by myself. I'm writing this letter to you as well with a group of other people, these other brethren. Now, where Paul wrote this, I, I believe he wrote it sometime after Acts chapter 15 in Antioch, the place where he started off from. And remember in Acts 13.1, it says in Antioch, there were many prophets and teachers that were there. These are the people that are standing beside Paul as he is writing this letter. So it's coming from Paul, but he is not alone. He's saying, make no mistake. This message that I'm about to share with you is not just of me. It's coming from God, and it's got this whole weight of authority behind it. Who are with me? To the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Now, at first glance, it looks like, you know, your, your rather typical opening that Paul makes. Grace and peace to you uh, from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and so forth. And then he shares, this, you know, a nice little um, uh, benediction, I guess you could call it. And then he's about to go into a letter. But, but I want you to notice, before we get too far, some things that are different here. There are no commendations. He's not saying, um, well done, I've heard of the stories of what's happened here and there. I've heard of your faithfulness. He's not commending them on that. He's not greeting anyone in particular. He's not even saying, I, I thank you. I thank the Lord for what he's done in your heart, as he's done in other letters. He's not even reaffirming their standing and position with God. I mean, think about it. When he writes to the, the church in Ephesus, to the saints of Ephesus. Writes to the Colossians, to the saints of Colossae. Right? When he writes to the Thessalonians, to the saints of Thessalonica. Even that body church of Corinth. Right? That immoral, sinful, or sin-ridden church. What does he say to them? First ten verses. To the saints of Corinth. Saints by calling. He even affirms them of their standing in Christ. Then he spends the next 16 chapters reminding them they're not living like saints nonetheless. But, but at least he addresses them as such. You will not find that here in this letter to the church of, Cor church of Galatia. He doesn't refer to them as saints. He doesn't commend them. He's not thanking them for anything. Instead, he's going right to the issues. The opening in verse 3 here is very short and terse. But it's almost, I've got a message behind it though. Let me be clear. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, let me remind you Verse 4, really, is, is what he preached. This is Acts 13, 38 and 39, is it not? Who gave himself. Notice that. He gave himself. What, what more is there? What more is there? He gave himself. I mean, 
That is the ultimate sacrifice. He didn't give you riches. He didn't give you something else. He gave his very own life. Right? He gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. So Jesus gives his life for us, but not only that, he gives his life to us. Right? I love what Watchman Nee says. He says, God doesn't give you peace. He gave you Jesus, who is your peace. God doesn't give you forgiveness. He gave you Jesus, who is your forgiveness. God doesn't give you patience. He gave you Jesus, who is your patience. Do you see the difference there? You see, if God just gave me peace, maybe it would run out. Maybe it's only temporary. If he gave me um, you know, wisdom, maybe that would disappear. But he doesn't do that. He gave me Jesus Christ, who is my wisdom, who is my righteousness, who is my wisdom, my sanctification. That's what 1 Corinthians 1.30 says. He is that to us now. And so he gave me his life to now actually experience it here on earth. So he's reminding them again, do you not remember this is the gospel, by the way, folks. I, you know, I spoke it to you when I was walking through there that he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. I mean, Acts 13, 38 and 39, I proclaim to you the forgiveness of sins and freedom to those who believe in Jesus Christ, freedom from all things of which what? The law could not free you from. Right? So he's bringing it all back. According to what? The will of our God and Father. It's not about you. It's not about what you have to offer. It's not about what you can pull off. It's all about what Jesus has done. To whom be the glory forevermore, amen. Is there any glory for us to share in? No. You see, what these Judaizers were doing, as we'll see, is they were twisting the gospel. They were undermining Paul's authority. They were saying, yes, yes, this Paul guy, he, he's, he's a good messenger, but he, you know, he reports to people. He's really just you know, a, a, really a, a minion in the chain of command. He's not with those other guys. No, no, he's, he's, he's kind of lower, and so he only shares part of the message. He's, you know, he's in charge of evangelism and does a great job with evangelism, but you know, now how we live... That's another person's department, and Paul doesn't really understand that. Let me tell you how you need to live. There are some rules to follow. There are some things you need to do now. Yes, yes, you're saved by Jesus, but now it's something else. And they begin to add it in here. Problem is, the moment you add something else to the gospel, who can now receive glory for it? The person who's responsible for it. But says here, but to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. It's all about Christ. It's all about him and what he's done. We can take no credit for it. Right? So verse 4 here becomes a key verse because, again, he's reminding them of the gospel he's about to preach, or he had preached, and what he's going to remind them of. So then comes to verse 6. I am amazed. I'm marveling. I'm shocked. I can't believe it. 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I mean, Paul basically came home, checked his messages, unpacked, and he got word that this is what was going on in the church of Galatians. Galatians. He was shocked. I can't believe it. I mean, we were just there. You, you saw it. You saw the persecution, persecutions. You saw the abuse. We were there urging you, pleading with you to continue on in the faith, trusting in Christ. Continue on that way. But now you're deserting him. That word deserting means turncoat, traitor. You're betraying. Now look what you're betraying. Are you betraying doctrine? No. What are they turning away from? They're turning away from him. These people are turning away from a person. Now, make it clear, make, it, make sure you understand this. These people are not going off and living this immoral life. In fact, they're living a very moral and upright life. They've determined to follow the law at this point. They want to make sure they're, they're crossing all their T's and dotting their I's. They're doing their best now to live a holy life. But who are they depending upon now? Themselves. And so who have they deserted? Christ. They deserted the person. Later on in chapter 5, Paul talks about falling from grace. How many people have heard that term before, falling from grace? You may have even used it or heard it in relation to a person. So-and-so has fallen from grace. What are you talking about when you say that term or others say that term? So-and-so has fallen from grace. What are they doing? They're misbehaving. They're living now an immoral life. Yeah, they're living a life of sin. I heard so-and-so, they've, they've left their husband, and now they're shacked up with another guy. Or now they're just an alcoholic. Or now they're, they're cheating on their taxes. They've fallen from grace. You know, Paul never uses fallen from grace in that way. Fallen from grace or deserting or turning away or betraying Jesus is referring to someone who tries to actually live a very moral life apart from God. You've turned away from God. You've betrayed Him. You left the person of Jesus Christ. Who are they trusting in at this point? Themselves. You've deserted Him who called you by the grace of Christ for what? A different gospel. Now this word different, the, the Greek word is heteros. Now, another word that Paul could have used is a word called alanos, which is another, but it's another of the same kind. So, for example, when Jesus is referring in John 14, I will send you another. He says, I will send you alanos. Who's the another? I will send you another. He was the Holy Spirit. The alanos there is a different or another, but of the same kind. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but oh, by the way, he's God too. And we're one, right? Figure that one out too, and let me know. So here he is, right? He's, he said, I will send you an alanos, a different but of the same kind, or another of the same kind. But heteros is a different of another kind. It's where we get the word heterosexual, right? So that's a different of another kind, whereas homosexual is another of the same kind. So heteros means opposite. 
So it's death opposed to life. That's what a heteros is. It's bondage opposed to freedom. Condemnation opposed to acceptance. Defeat opposed to victory. Good news opposed, or bad news opposed to good news. Light versus dark. They're opposites. They're polar opposites. They're not similar at all. And what Paul is saying to them, that what you've done is you've so quickly abandoned, deserted, betrayed Jesus by going for this another different, wholly different gospel. It's not just a a gospel with a slight twist on it. It is a very different gospel. And what Paul is saying here is that if if you're hearing this gospel that's not the gospel that was preached to you, it is wholly different. Danielle. We'll get to that in a second. Well, it was the Judaizers that were coming in, as, as we'll see as we go through. But there, now he goes on to say, now, which is not really another. It's meaning that at this point here, he's saying they haven't come up with something brand new, it, but it's twisted. And the moment you twist the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. Now, I, I marvel at God's um, uh, providence. Uh, today, when I was getting ready for today, shaking in my boots, I decided to go for a walk. And, and I'm walking along King Street, and lo and behold, I see two guys, uh, white shirt, black tie, short sleeves. <laughs> Guess who they were? The Mormons, right? And I'm saying, like, oh, man, this is funny. And I'm, I'm thinking about Galatians. I'm listening to a message on Galatians, going to get ready for it. And then these guys come up, how you doing? Oh, how, how are you? And, and I'm ready to cross the street. He's going to cross the street with me. And, and I can see his name tag, Church of Latter-day Saints. I wasn't sure if it was Jehovah's Witness or not, but, you know, I uh, should have recognized the uniform. And, and so there they are, and he says, you know, do, do you know Jesus? I know Jesus. Um, you know, what church do you go to and so forth? And he's trying to, to sell me the gospel. And I'm thinking, this isn't the gospel you're sharing with me. You may say it's the same as I, what I believe, but it is wholly different. Because the gospel that they teach is a gospel of Jesus plus something else, Jesus plus works. You see, when I was coming up with a name for this study, I wondered if Jesus plus nothing would be a better title. And I almost went with it, because that's the gospel. Jesus plus nothing. And what what man has done, or what these Judaizers are doing for the churches of Galatia, they were making a Jesus plus something else gospel. Jesus plus following the law. Jesus plus obeying the rules. Jesus plus whatever. And that was now becoming the gospel that these people were falling for. But the moment you add anything to the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. It is something wholly different. It's twisted. It's not the gospel anymore. That's what these Mormons have done. Now that's with salvation. And we look at that and we recognize that right off the bat. But you see, in the church... We've fallen for what these people have fallen for. They didn't fall for in terms of salvation. They fell for this twist when it came to living the gospel. And what we have fallen for is a gospel that really resembles something like souped-up Judaism. And, and I hope to explain that more as we go on in this course. But it is a gospel where you basically now, you're saved by Jesus. When you blow it, you offer your sacrifice, which is Jesus... But now you do your best to follow the laws of God. 
That's what Judaism was. The only difference between Christianity for many people and Judaism is the lamb. They have to offer an, an actual lamb. We just recognize Jesus is the lamb. But that's a gospel that only understands half of the message of grace. Only understands the forgiveness parts. Not understanding the life parts. And so they fell for this twisted message. And Paul says, I can't believe you've abandoned him. Because you've abandoned this grace. You've abandoned Christ living in and through you. You've deserted him. But these people, they're disturbing you and only wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. All they want is their power back. All they want is control again. That's all they're interested in. So verse 8, But if we, or even an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, to you, he is to be accursed. That word accursed means anathema. That's the Greek word for it. And it literally means to be damned to hell. Do you see the boldness of Paul here? Eight verse in. And he's saying, if anyone preaches a different gospel than what I preach to you, Acts 13, 38, 39, Galatians 1 verse 4, if anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be damned straight to hell. I'm, I'm frightened at this point. When I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh, well, hold on, Paul. <laughs> That's strong words. That's tough to understand. I want to kind of back away from that and say, well, hold on here. So maybe Paul just went too far. Maybe Paul just got caught up in the moment. You know, sometimes people do that, right? Have you ever done that? You get caught up in the moment and you say something and you think, yeah, that might have been too far. All right? You know, look what Paul does though in verse 9. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Make no mistake. I thought about it and yeah, I stand by it again. Right? Paul isn't some crackpot writing a letter to the editor because of something that's happened here. He's actually saying, listen, let me be abundantly clear here. If you preach a gospel different. Now, I do think what he's talking about, those who are intentionally doing it, these Judaizers who had a, a, a mean spirit behind it, I don't think he's referring to people who, not knowing any better, preach the gospel. Because I think he's talking to these people. He's not saying to you churches of Galatia, let you be accursed, let you be damned to hell. He's not saying that to them. But he's saying to those who are intentionally preaching this gospel, who are intentionally twisting it and distorting it, let them be accursed. Let them be damned to hell. Strong, powerful words. It's better that you weren't saved? Yeah, if you're preaching different, it's better that, you know, like, you, you, because they're saved. No, 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 no. Again, I think he's talking about these Judaizers, these people who aren't saved, that are intentionally distorting the gospel. Not people who have been fallen for the twist, but rather these people up here who are disturbing you, wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. That's what he's getting at. That's the focus. So it's this... The, he's talking about the agents that really are going out for it. Let them be accursed. Let them be damned to hell. Yes. So the people that are kind of falling for it and they're, in, they're, in, they're also preaching, what happens? How are they 
Well, I, I think then they, they don't know. And that's why Paul's not saying, to you churches of Galatia, let you be damned to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's trying to correct it, right? And that's the issue. That's the thing that I think he's wanting people to see. And he's trying to say, listen, this is no minor detail. This isn't just, you know, it's, it's really the same thing. He's saying, oh, no, let me be so clear and blunt by how different and how, how dangerous this twist is by these people that are doing it. Let them be accursed. Yes. That's right. It's not specifically pointed at those. And so it's, it's telling those who are receiving it from other people not to... It's those that want to, right? Who know it, but are doing it anyways, right? It's not that they just didn't know, because that's what was taught, which is the case for many people, but here it's those that want to, right? Who know the gospel, but say, you know what? No, there's got to be more. Yes, yes, it's, it's this, but... It's got to be out, something else. I got, I got to get going. I'm short on time, right? So it, it's these people then that twist it with an intent. For them that twist it with an intent, let them be accursed, anathema. Do you see his, his message here? This, he's got his war paint on. He's coming out swinging. He's saying this is a fight worth fighting for. Don't go back to this. This is, this is ludicrous. This is insane. So verse 10 then, for now, if I am seeking to the favor of men or of God, am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, it's interesting. I think what these Judaizers are doing, we're saying, you know, Paul, when he preached this message of, of not the law, you know, that's really appealing to Gentiles. Right? We saw in the book of Acts how people responded to it. They were doing backflips. They were, they were all excited. They were, they were begging him to come back and preach more, right? Well, you know, Paul, he just preached a real, you know, cheery message. He preached a message that would, you know, be popular, right? And so that's all he was trying to do. He was just trying to, you know, preach, get converts. So he was, he was just trying to make people happy and please men. But he wasn't really teaching the whole thing. He was only giving you a part. The other part is now you gotta you gotta follow the law. So sorry, Gentiles, you thought you're off the hook. You thought you didn't have to get snipped, but I'm afraid you do, right? Because this is what the law demands. That I mean, that's the issue, right? That was the issue, and so he said he was just trying to keep you happy. Sorry to break the bad news to you, but this is the reality of it. Paul's just being a man pleaser, and Paul said, "Are you guys out of your mind? Do you really think I was trying to be a man pleaser?" I was such a man pleaser, I was getting stoned. That just, you know, people loved it so much, they got all excited and threw rocks at me. They, they just got, you know, they couldn't control themselves. That's how happy they were. I'm being a man pleaser? Am I striving to please men? Are you crazy? If I'm still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. It's interesting. People who who strive to please other people, they'll struggle. 
They'll be so desperate to try to be all things to all people, keep everyone happy, but they'll, be, they'll just never experience it. They'll just struggle and struggle and struggle. But Paul says, I'm no longer interested in pleasing men. I, I don't really care. I really don't. I'm not concerned with, with your reputation of me. Doesn't, doesn't affect me. Instead, I'm more interested in being a bondservant of Christ. And there's power in this. I mean, here's a person that is now free. You can't tear this person down. How do you destroy a person like this? Because you can say all kinds of horrible things about them and they can say, well, okay, I'm sorry you feel that way, but so be it. So be it. Now, here's where I want to apply what we've learned about so far today. You see, this idea of this wonderful message of grace and freedom. If, if you have, have and, and maybe this is something you need to ask yourselves. Have you fallen for this distortion? Has the, the pure simplicity, uh, uh, wonderful message of grace that was first presented to you Maybe when you were saved, maybe some point later on in your Christian life, has that pure message of grace, that gospel of grace, that good news of grace, has it been twisted? Has it been distorted somehow? Has, have you let someone come in and add something to the message? Have you picked something up that God told you to put down and added it to the message yourself? Not intentionally, maybe. But has the gospel been twisted in some way? Have you lost sight of him? And gotten your eyes focused somewhere else? Anywhere else? For, for the churches of Galatia, it was the law. Now, is the law bad? The law is holy, righteous, and good. But once they had their eyes on the law, it was off of him. Off of Jesus. Has that happened to you? Have you gotten your eyes off of Jesus and maybe onto doctrine? Maybe it's even good doctrine. But have you gotten your eyes off of Him? If you have, two things will happen. One, you'll be a mess. You will be an absolute mess because you will just be striving and striving to achieve and measure up and will you ever get there? And all you will see is frustration, defeat, guilt, condemnation, and you will be a mess inside. Beating yourself up. Just, just wrecked. A complete and utter mess. Or you might go the other way. You might become a menace. Because what you will do is you will begin to terrorize other people. You will begin to go after other people and say, now you need to do this. Now you need to do it this way. Now this needs to be part of your life. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to talk this way. See, there's a lot of people that, that say they understand grace. 
And I always find it interesting. I love what Frank Friedman says when people come up to him and say, I know grace. He says, oh, really? Um, let, I, I'd like to meet your spouse. And let me ask them that question, see how well you know grace. At which point the person quickly says, I, I mean, I'm learning grace. <laughs> yeah, that's better. That's better. But there's a lot of people who would say, I know grace. Not I'm learning grace, I know grace. And yet, they've twisted the gospel now. So now it's Jesus plus, you've got to talk like this. You've got to use these terms. You've got to act this way. You've got to know this. You've got to go here. You've got to go there. You've got to do this. And we twist this wonderful, pure message of freedom and grace. And now it's no longer the gospel. It's no longer good news. It's now bad news. And so you will be a menace, menace to other people. You will terrorize people. And for a lot of us, we're both at this point. We'll be a mess in ourselves and we will be a menace to those around us, to our loved ones. So I challenge you, go before God. Go before Him and say, God, Lord Jesus, have I abandoned you? Have I lost sight of you? Have I turned my eyes and my focus onto something other than you? Because if I have, I've become a mess or a menace. I am now a terror to those whom I love. And I don't want that anymore. I want that freedom again. I want that pure message of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I knew this, this message, this book was powerful, but Father, even I stand here right now in awe of the power of it. I thank you that you, in your divine will, decided to preserve this wonderful book for us. And I pray, Father, that um, each person here would see um, Paul's heart, and really, it's your heart. It's your um, passion or not just the message, but really your people and the freedom that you so desire for us to experience. I pray that we would hear from you to see if there's any part of our lives that we have lost sight of you, that we have abandoned you and focused on something else, that we would, we would turn to you to allow you to strip away anything we've added to the gospel, that it would be simply what it was meant to be, Jesus plus nothing, so that we could give him all the praise and glory he deserves. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.